0: What's happening, people? And what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppressed. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain podcast registered from Amazon
0: Music playing the latest episode
1: this podcast is sponsored by sumato coffee sumato coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted beyond that it starts to become stale at sumato coffee they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted that's why they put the roast date right on the back Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E ecom
0: What's happening, people? What you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest podcast in the land. We're with the dopest topics, the rawest opinion, giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Dead Press. We're giving sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we'll be pulling back the curtain on Broder versus Gale case, which led to the end of bus segregation in the South and much more.
1: Press, what's popping. Jules, man, how you been, brother? Everything's good, man. How about yourself? You know, I, I can't complain, bro. It's uh busy with work, but guess what? I'm happy to have a, a job to be busy with. So, I mean, dude, I'm just counting my blessings. Uh, we're seeing that the numbers are spiking here with this COVID. So, uh, Chicago, we're preparing and ramping up for, uh, you know, a stay-at-home order coming up, man. So, you know, everybody be safe out there. Yes, sir, man. I second that, man. It's fucking
0: crazy. But, you know, they, they was talking about how it was – gonna have a, a second coming of this thing, you know, how, you know, weather's changing to fall and winter and stuff. Yeah. So man, man it's best just to 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 keep those keep those masks, stay social distancing and wash your hands and, you know, stay in the house if you can.
1: I would just say stay in the damn house. Ain't no social distancing right now. Just stay away from people, man. Like, and that's gonna be tough with the holidays and stuff coming up with families, you know, wanting to get together for the holidays. But I don't know, man. I think uh Thanksgiving for us is gonna be just over Zoom this this holiday season. I don't know.
0: Oh, really? You know, you you know I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah, I, you know, you got the holidays coming up. I know I know the uh mayor the Lightfoot, you know, she was talking about how, you know, try not to, you know, do what you you know, do what you saying is have Zoom. Holidays or whatever, you know, don't have your families coming over and this and that. I know that's gonna be hard for for a few people, you know. I don't know if they're gonna to listen to it or or what, or they just gonna say, "Hey, <laughs> hey, you know what? Screw it, man." You know,
1: Jules, I think you know the answer to that one. You are gonna have a lot of people out here doing whatever the hell they want to do. <laughs> well, shit, hey, hey, they was doing it, they was doing it all, anyway. Yeah, yeah, nobody was listening, nobody but you was know what? Listening. But that's why now they all complaining now. And I'm like, well, if you would have listened months ago, we could have got ahead of this damn thing. True, true. You know, because l- look at those other countries, Jules. Like, these other countries, their numbers, they're not doing what ours are doing. That is true, man.
0: Uh, what are we going to do, man? <laughs> 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 what are we going to do, man? I, I don't even know, man. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe just, hey, listen. Maybe open up everything like, hey, you know what? Forget it open up everything, but just keep your mask on or stay six feet apart. I I don't know. Cause like, like you said, people not listening. So, you know, not all, not everybody, but you know.
1: Yeah. Well, cause the thing about this this whole thing got politicized. I mean, let's just, let's be honest. It got politicized and mm-hmm. you have people now that are, I don't want to wear a mask because it's against my rights and it's stupid. It's uncomfortable and this and that. And those are the selfish people that while we're in this situation now, where this thing came back around and, I'm not even going to like state the obvious of the poor leadership that we had in this country uh, with this pandemic. But it's just uh, it's been unfortunate. And I feel yeah. bad for the people that are alone. Right. And, and you know, single people that live alone because those people right now we need to check on because I think depression and suicide rates are probably going to go through the roof right now. with People not being able to be around their family. And that's the thing that I really worry about.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's a good question. Hit on with just people just, who just alone and don't have family and stuff. Those are the ones definitely to check on because around this time, every year this time, you know, unfortunately it is what it is, We, you know, sometimes it was things we have to talk about, suicides and because people are depressed and lonely and stuff and feel that they can't go no more. And just, you know, they, you know, deaths are kind of high around this time of year if you're single and stuff. So that's a good point you brought up with, you know, for us people who doesn't have, don't have a big family or, or just not close to their family whatsoever, you know? Right. So,
1: that's another good, good point. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. you know that that is the thing. So this whole situation, I just really feel bad not only for where we are in our country with this virus and how we just didn't uh, handle it properly, but now the effect that it's going to have on people during the holidays. This, this is going to really be tough, man. But I just know the decision I'm going to make is I'm going to protect my family and I'm going to protect the household. So I just think mm-hmm. that I'm just going to have to be smart with that. It, it's going to it's going to you know stink not being able to be with the extended family, but at the same time, you also don't know how people have been taking precautions, right? We don't know, like, if people in your family have been flying or, you know, what type of things that they're doing in their own household. So right. There's just a lot of things to take into account. So I can't tell anybody else how to uh, handle and run their household, but I can say that that's the household that I'm not going to be in if I'm not 100% sure.
0: <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I ain't mad at you, man. This thing here is just... And I know they talk about this vaccine, but, I mean... Yeah, uh, and... You know, 90% They say it's 90% complete But, you know, Pfizer, I don't know what's going on I don't know when it's going to be, you know Handed out or whatever Or what's, is it going to work Or, you know, this is a game changer here boy. I tell you
1: that It definitely is And uh, Trump was speaking yesterday And I guess he was saying that the state of New York He's going to hold off on sending the vaccine to that state So it seems like he's kind of playing Like some political game there with that that's just her, him, how why he gets he hold- down. I mean, I mean, why are you holding off the vaccine for? What would New York do to him? Well, you know, him and the governor, <laughs> Governor Cuomo, yeah. you know, they've been going, they've been going back and forth with each other.
0: Damn. So you're like, man, you ain't getting no vaccine punk. Damn, yeah. Trump. He
1: said, that's my vaccine punk. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, right? Hey, <laughs> come on, man. We can agree to disagree, right? <laughs> no shit, right? I don't I don't understand. I don't understand, man. Well. One of the things that happened uh, recently, and we wanted to talk about it here with our audience, is the, the passing of uh, Alex Trebek. Uh, Jules, I know we were coming up. That was kind of like a fixture, you know, in our households. And, man, it's just tough to see, man. This year continues to keep dealing us body blows, man.
0: Dude, Alex Trebek passing. And then, you know, he was going through publicly, he he was saying how he, he you know, stage four pancreatic cancer, and he was still working. The resilience in this man was unbelievable. I think he took a page out of Jimmy V when he when Jimmy V said, don't give up, don't ever give up. I know Trebek took something from that because he kept working until the end. I mean, until he couldn't work no more. And then, you know, he went on to be, be with Lord. I mean, he'd been on the Jeopardy show since, man, I think 84, I believe. Yep. I believe, I think 84, but a long time to be on a game show that that is just revolutionized these game shows, man. I mean, you think of Jeopardy, you think about that theme. <laughs> you think about <laughs> back with that, uh, well, you know, with his little comments, like, ooh, sorry, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, he was just smooth. That brother, he had a smooth voice, had a smooth approach. He had swag, man. It's just sad to hear that. He was 80 years old and stuff like that, man. But you know what? Our hearts and condolences go out to the Jebeck family and stuff. And we would definitely miss this, this brother here. You know, but we have memories of them. We can go back and listen and, you know. Uh, hey, Press, I don't know if you ever, uh, when you was coming up, you ever put yourself on, on Jeopardy because, you know, you're watching and you trying to get those answers to them questions.
1: Them questions be hard, man. <laughs> Them questions, they be some hard questions, man. Yeah, they were. I, I'll, I'll say this, man. That, that show just reminds me, and I actually was smiling listening to you talk about that because my grandmother, she used to watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune every day. So those were the two shows that I watched, like, religiously. And that was probably about the only time when I was a kid where anybody can get me to sit still long enough to focus on something. But those those shows were cool, man, because I always used to try to make myself a contestant, man. I used to, I killed it in Wheel of Fortune Jeopardy. I was trash, though. Them questions were hard, bro. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Dude, it, it was funny, though, because like we would be playing it and tracking it, and then she'd be like, man, you got another one wrong. And I'd just be sitting over there just like,
0: "Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, right. Hey. hey, it is what it is, man. But uh, yeah, you definitely get to... I mean, you get to learn some stuff you didn't know. You're like, oh, okay, that's cool, man. I know you one thing. You had to be very smart to get on that show, man. And you stay on it for a week, and the, most of you can and stuff, and be the champion, and
1: and that was cool, man. It was a good. It was a good game show, man. It really was. It really was. I mean, and, and so what they said is they recorded. An additional 30 episodes of the show that he's that he his final 30 episodes so they're gonna release those so we'll still get to see a little bit okay. more of him going forward. So I thought that was really cool. Okay, cool. That yeah, yeah, no, no, that's that's excellent,
0: man. It's gonna be touching, man.
1: Yeah, but I'll just say, man, for five days a week and for 22 minutes a day, man, he kept all of us entertained. And uh, man, rest in peace, Alex Drew That's all I can say, man.
0: Man, rest in peace, definitely, man. I know you're up there. Having game shows up there in heaven, man, and some people are probably getting it wrong up there still, man. So,
1: and yeah, he's probably telling them, "Ooh, that's incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I want to know what type
0: of questions they are having up there, man.
1: Man, I used to love that though, because he was kind of like a smart ass too. It was kind of funny, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, like it was like a little sarcastic in, in in his like you know in his uh uh responses. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alex. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: yep. But rest in peace, man. He was one of a kind, brother. He was one of a kind. Yes, sir. Another thing, too, I wanted to talk with you about, uh, <laughs> Jules, and it kind of, uh, it, it made me laugh, but also at the same time, from a serious standpoint, I kind of saw what Oregon did when it came to uh, decriminalizing uh, drugs and you know, and drug possession in their, in their state. So audience, like things like marijuana, even hard drugs like cocaine and meth and heroin. They basically mm-hmm. have decriminalized that in their state It also reduced the penalties for possession of larger amounts of drugs as well. Now, I know a lot of people are going to probably have a couple, you know, different ways they look at that. Jules, I'm going to kick it over to you to get your thoughts on it. But my feedback on this may be probably surprising to some people that listen to this podcast. But I want to kind of get your thoughts on this.
0: People need to watch out in, in Oregon. I think what they did here, they're looking at uh, me personally. I you know I guess still looking to the facts and then the few, and then time will tell. It seemed like it's it's about it's about money to me. I say that because a lot of these drugs here are hard drugs, and mm-hmm. instead of you know people get locked up for possession and stuff like that, but instead of them getting locked up, but not only if you get locked up, you get a chance to. To try to get help and stuff. So there's more to it than when somebody gets locked up and it's like, oh man, it's messed up because he just, but it's more to it than that. I mean, you don't go to the big house and not like that. You go into a holding cell. And when your court date comes, there's things, avenues you can take drug school and rehabilitation programs and stuff like that, you know, instead of uh, in, in a fine or whatever the case may be. With this here is kind of shocking because so people will get caught with. Like you say at Prez, you know, tough drugs like heroin and cocaine and meth and and LSD and Oxy and all that stuff. It's a fine. It's a hundred dollar fine. So it's a ticket. I don't see any ramification and just you get caught with it. Oh, it's a fine. So it's kind of like you're, you're kind of rewarding bad behavior. Oh, well, I can just pay this. It's no big deal. I get caught with it. It's just, you know, because, you know, people, there's loopholes in this system. So I'm like, oh, OK. If I can only have two two grams and less is, is just a ticket, okay, I'll just carry this. But what are the ramifications? And uh, will you get help and stuff like that is the question. Now, some people who doesn't, you know what I'm saying, get exposed to drugs, stuff like that, don't stop at just this one thing. They always, you know, for the most part, go and experience and venture out. And we see overdosing, we see bad dope and stuff like that where people ODing and dying and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of curious on what's the angle here, because it seemed like to me it's just, you know, I know they're saying that, you know, this right here, that we're treating this as a, uh, a health disorder than uh, a criminal act. But I understand, and that's cool, but what a ramification for the people, the ones who get called in it's just a ticket. Is that it, or do they have to do some type of programs or whatever the case may be? Um, so those are the, the questions that I raised when I read about this.
1: No, I hear you, man. I would say for me, uh, I look at it differently, man. I, I see that the fact that they're removing penalties for possession of small amount of drugs, and you brought up the point where you know even in today's world, you know you go to like the drug court system, right? And you know you don't get locked up, locked up. But at the same time, there's hmm. still a lot of people of color that basically these drug possession charges and laws have really affected negatively over the years, right? And so. The thing that you brought up that I agree with is the fact that I think with them decriminalizing some of this stuff, it does allow people to kind of take control of their addiction. Right. Because instead of like criminally, like kind of like putting people away, maybe it allows these individuals to go to some sort of a drug treatment program. Right. I also think that it kind of takes the stigma away from people that suffer from substance abuse. So I'll just kind of tell a quick personal story. I had a relative that was suffering from substance abuse many years over. And, uh, they never obviously got caught by law enforcement or anything like that. But for me, that person had to go to like three or four different, you know, rehab facilities. And they finally were able to kind of kick the habit cleaner. They've been, they've been clean for three years now. And I don't think that like, say for instance, if this individual would have been like arrested and put in jail, I don't see how that would have helped, you know, them kind of get clear of this. And so for me, I kind of look at this situation and I say, as long as people are going to get help and maybe we can remove the stigma that is associated with some of these drugs, that maybe people will feel more open to reach out to their friends and family and let them know that they do have a problem. Because even when we discussed this earlier in the episode, when people hear the words cocaine and meth and things like that, everybody like antennas like go up, right? Because they're, they're hard drugs. But we also have to look at the fact that in this country, in 26 states, marijuana has been decriminalized. There's dispensaries all Mm -hmm. over the place now. Right. But Mm -hmm. years ago, African-Americans were getting arrested and thrown in jail for possession of marijuana. And so those are some of the things that, you know, when I see this, I kind of think about this and I look at it like just slightly different. I
0: understand where you're coming from. It's just it's I I look at this and I shake my head because I'm out there and I'm dealing with I see what 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 happens when people are hooked on this stuff and don't get Mm -hmm. up and stuff like that. Oregon, what it did, open up this Pandora box for other states to look at that. And what the whole country was going to do is just going to open up. Are they going to do this in other states? Because it only take one, you know what I'm saying? Then other states will look at it. But what is their agenda? Is it really to help people or is it to make money? Because I, as far as politicians, I don't, I don't really trust them that much. And right. when they start doing stuff like this, it's like, wait a minute, hold on. Now I can go around. I can, I can have dope on me. Come on. I, I'm just a little, I'm a little worried about like, okay, wait a minute now we all our lives we have been talking about say no to drugs. Don't do this. This is what it can do to you and this and that. It'll string you out, you steal, you do this, you kill and it, now you can now you can possess it. The help definitely got to be there. You can't just tell people, "Okay, you can have less than 2 grams and you good." And it's just if you get stopped, "Oh, yeah, I just got a little powder on me and it's just a $100 fine." That you know, like again, that's that's what I worry about, man. I I I'm yeah, prayers. I'm just I'm I'm just scratching my head on this one, man. I, I'm I'm not too, I'm not liking this one too much, man.
1: You know, hey, that, that's why we had these discussions yeah. because at the end of the day, you'll know that people that listen to this podcast, one person may kind of see it the way you do, and another person may see it the way that I do. I think for mm-hmm. me, I am kind of like wondering what went into this because when I looked at it, I thought, well, maybe people can actually go get help, and I kind of didn't look at it from the standpoint of maybe people that may try to skirt the system. But to your point. We know that people will do that, right? They will understand, okay, Mm -hmm. well, if I have X amount on me, then I'm safe here and and I should be good to go. My only concern was is that with there being no consequences for for possession, I wonder, are you going to have people that are going to just be like rampant addicts? Now, that part concerns me, but I'm also at the point where I just don't necessarily think that we should be criminalizing people that have addiction problems. Because you also got to think about at one point in our civilization, alcohol was basically a banned substance and alcohol Mm -hmm. is everywhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's just kind of where I'm coming from with that. And and like I said, with marijuana, I've never met a person in in my life that has used marijuana and they've gone and committed, you know, any crimes, if anything, they just go somewhere and eat up a bunch of fucking food and then pass the fuck out. So I do Mm -hmm. like the fact though, that a lot of these uh, States in in the U S are starting to decriminalize that because I I never understood why that was like such a big deal.
0: <laughs> well, they they, 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 they it because it's a money maker. Yep. You know, let's be honest. It's still fairly, it's still illegal. It is. These states is still, you know, what I'm saying these states are. Hey, it's a profit. That's mm-hmm. why. That's why I'm. I'm not, I'm not too. I'm not quick to jump on this because, you know, what's next? Are you gonna have like dispensaries of, of, of cocaine and meth and stuff like that? Is that next? Where's the end game? You know what I'm saying? We went from country of laws and stuff like that, you know, stopping Mexico, stopping Italians, stop bringing dope into the to America. Now, we, is this the plan? Is this like an indirect thing? Like, well, hell, you know what? If we legalize this stuff, we don't have to worry about other other countries coming in and try to sell this stuff. Is this, is this how we're going to win a war on drugs? I don't know, man. There's still a lot of stuff that's just unknown to me. And I'm not advocating for this stuff here. Definitely, you know what I'm saying? Drugs are bad and stuff like that. So I'll be on the record to say, don't do them whatsoever, you know, and if you are, you know say, definitely try to get off of them try to get help. you know, And then with far as with the, uh, with the mushrooms, what they doing as far as with, with mentals, now if that works and that helps out and the stuff like that, hey, I'm all for it. But it had to be some type of uh, had to be some restrictions, because I was reading on it where they you know saying you wouldn't even need a, a prescription or a formal diagnosis to, pos- to, to participate in this therapy. Of uh, receiving mushrooms if you're mentally challenged and stuff like that, which again is like, okay, it, you know, well, I, you definitely well, have restrictions with this stuff.
1: Well, actually, that's that's actually not true, man. Uh, the the way that that works is they have to actually, when they're a part of that program, they have to actually be under like state and licensed care. So it's an actual program, and they can only right. use that to your stuff program to the program, right? So right. you're basically your under yeah. yeah, you're under care when they're doing that. And I would and I say this, like, there's actually studies that show, like, to your point, that the mushrooms actually help people that suffer from depression and PTSD, right? I mean, like I said, I think for me, I look at it more of, there's too many stigmas in this, in this world, and, and, and it's not just about drugs, there's all kinds of things. And I think that as a country, some of this stuff, man, we need to, like, man, kind of, like, maybe move past, like, our, our notions about things, right? Because obviously... You know, Jules, I get where he's coming from as far as, you know, when it comes to the law and things like that. But the war on drugs thing, to me, was always kind of bullshit. And I think that when I see a state like Oregon doing this kind of thing, I'm seeing that they're probably doing this because voters in that state have probably kind of talked about the fact that they weren't really too keen on that. Because there's a lot of people in this country that kind of have been resistant upon that. So I don't know, man. I don't know what the end game is on this one, because to your point, Jules. There is probably money motivations in this because when Illinois, when they uh, decriminalized marijuana and they started selling that stuff mm. and they started taxing that stuff the way that they was, I'm like, shit, if anybody's buying this weed, y'all better go back to your original dealer um, because these people taxing y'all. It's All expensive. I'm, it's yeah. expensive. No, the one thing I
0: do, like what Oregon is doing with their weed and stuff like that, Uh, the properties with their weed, is they're giving it to help for mental health and schools right. and, and and state police and stuff like that, which it are doing good with it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I don't know what the hell. What are we doing with our what's the purpose of our weed? Where's that going? Uh in somebody's pocket. You know, per- <laughs> 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 I mean, because if you want to talk about mental health uh uh assistance stuff like that, man, we need it, man. It's yes. a lot of people that's just out here, just mental Hurt. hell. I can I can tell you, I went on a few calls yesterday, that it's all mentals and stuff, and they out here, and then with when The time when Bruce Ronald was was in office and he shut
1: down all the mental facilities and stuff. Man, they let these people out on the streets and they just they're all over the place. And and you know what? I'm so glad you brought that point up, man, because that's the stuff that nobody's talking about right there. Because you walk around anywhere in the city, whether it's downtown, north side, south side, mm-hmm. you just have people that are just all over the place. You don't know what the hell is going on with these people, and they're just out here in the streets. And Years ago, they actually had places to go that would help them with their conditions. Now, with all those places closing, now these people are amongst all of us. And not that I'm saying anything negative about them, but they're not getting the help and resources that they need. And now you're grabbing these situations where when these people have a distressed situation, then what's going to happen, right? it could be a bad situation happening where, you know, maybe the police are called, right? And maybe the police in certain instances aren't trained to handle someone in that situation. And it, this things can just go awry. And so the point that he made there, I just want our audience to think about and listen to it, and say, dude, as a country, not only are we failing, <laughs> you know, ourselves when it comes to this pandemic, but think about these people that are suffering from this mental illness. So I think that Illinois, Needs to probably look at what they're doing with some of the profits they're getting from this marijuana and actually do what Oregon's doing because we have a huge problem with homelessness and mental illness in this in this state. And to your point, Jules, I mean, you see these people all over the place. Definitely do something about that.
0: I mean, that'll be something. That'll be a segment we can talk about one time, man. Because that right there, man, it's 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 a. Uh, it might take the whole hour to talk about that one, right there.
1: For sure. For sure. Well, speaking of uh, the city and, and grants and things of that nature, we saw some uh, word that came from the mayor, how you know she Uh-oh. probably realized that uh, she was getting some criticism um, on her and, and JB's uh, indoor dining ban. And we talked about on episode 28, how we discussed mm-hmm. how the effects of that indoor dining ban on restaurants in Chicago was crippling to them. So this week, uh, they released this $10 million grant program for independent restaurant and bar uh, places, did you see that one, uh, Jules? Yeah, I did. $10 bucks
0: for it's for 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 bars and restaurants have uh, I think they don't have a profit. Uh, Three million less, I believe. So it's spread out. I think each bar or restaurant get like ten thousand. You know what? It's good that they're thinking and trying, and then also Lori want people to to go in and and buy, and you know take out orders and stuff like that and help you know, support their restaurants and businesses and stuff like that. And also they're waiving some of the, uh, for now, the third party of, if you know, if you get like Uber Eats or delivery service or something like that, I think they're talking about waiving that fee so we can help out.
1: Basically what they did is they rolled that out on on the council, uh, but it hasn't made it out of committee yet because those three companies actually have pushed back on that because obviously that's how they tax us by getting those fees, right? So they're trying to cap those fees at like 5%. I think that's what I saw. But
0: yeah. Mm, okay. I mean, it's something, man. But me, again, like you said, we hit on it. Uh, previous on the um uh, show here. And oh, man, it's just rough because these people are, this is what they're, this is their livelihood here. This is how they make their money. This is how they support their employees and their employees support their family and stuff like that. And also you you as the the patron come and get a good meal or a good time or a good drinks and stuff like that. And You know, with this pandemic here, kind of, you know, kind of stops all that. And hell, pretty much in a minute, stop all movement. But I mean, it's cool, but I don't think it won't be enough. I don't think, you know. So, I mean,
1: you you got you got ten million dollars in grants. but You mm got to think about how many bars and restaurants out here that are needing money right now. So you're right, Um, because I think one of the other things, too, that I want our audience to think about, too, is. They also have to have losses that total at least 25% of their annual net revenue. And this is actually post the pandemic. And obviously, if you have like a regional or national chain with more than two locations, obviously you're not going to be able to qualify for this and, and no strip right. clubs as well. Oh, oh, damn. I know, man. I'm like, tough time to be a uh, strip club owner, right? Oh, man.
0: Oh, man. Hey, hey, them girls there, boy, they looking for other jobs, man.
1: Oh, man. Oh, I thought most of them are uh are going to college anyway. So I think we'll be fine, right? Oh, okay. Oh, I hope so, man. That'd be yeah. Usually I usually I, I thought see. they strip because they try to pay for themselves to go to college. I think that's what I
0: You're right. Until it gets something better, you know what I'm saying? They they they, they paid away with college or support the kids or something like that. It just just it's just temporary. So
1: like like your girl, like your girl Diamond and Players Club, man. She was just trying to, mm-hmm. you know, she's just trying to yep. make a way for her son.
0: Yeah, ain't nothing wrong with that. Oh, no, no, yeah, man, no. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Just, just, just you know, with the COVID, you got to have social distancing. That's going to be, a, you know, that's going to be a little turnoff. I mean, you, you're sitting there looking at this, you know, looking at this female on stage, but there's no touch. You just got to be six feet apart, so yeah
1: well, well, can't now do the, nothing with it. Well, now these strip clubs getting, like, I heard a couple of them, they were doing, like, drive-through type strip club stuff, and, you know, pe- people, what? like, were, they were combining with restaurants, so the girls are, like, bringing food out or... Maybe they should start even doing something over Zoom. I don't know. You know they got to get creative. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. But as I digress. But I would yeah, say, wow. uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'll say this, man. When I when I look at this grant with the city, um, they also unveiled like a web portal uh, for workers that basically have their jobs taken away from them. Because one thing, Jules, you've probably seen this. We've lost over 100,000 jobs. Uh, since the pandemic Mm. in the restaurant and bar industry Mm. so a lot of these individuals are just out here some people i've even heard of moved out of the state to go back where you know maybe where they grew up and stuff to try to figure something out because just things here in chicago weren't working out for them but so they're doing this web portal to offer like training and and resources to kind of maybe help them maybe uh find another career right so i think that would be kind of good when i was reading through that but this grant uh Jules, I don't know if you noticed it. It's federally uh funded. So it's gonna come from that CARES Act uh that, that Trump signed uh, over during the uh the okay. pandemic. So that's where that money's coming from.
0: Okay, that's good. See, Trump out there, he did
1: something. Well, I mean, he did something with that <laughs> he CARES said, Act. But... He he did yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, he damn. also he, he, he also told people they were gonna be at church at Easter, you
0: know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's damn.
1: It's Thanksgiving and people can't even be with their families. Thanks a lot, Trump. Yeah, Jules, and i say one thing, too. uh, There's actually a couple of other organizations here locally that are helping out some of these restaurant uh, owners and workers as well. So we have uh, BIG, which is the Business Interruption Grants. Uh, It's a state-run support program, so shout out to them. And then also, uh, Jules, Dish Roulette Kitchen. It's a nonprofit organization that's offering funds for restaurant and food businesses uh, run by women of color and undocumented individuals as well. Oh man, that's
0: what's up, man. It's going to take it's going to take all of us to help out and stuff like that to to really help these businesses here because they're they're definitely hurting, especially when you give the order where you can't you know go in and, and sit and eat and, and stuff like that. They're losing a lot of money. So that's it's going to take all hands on deck to, you know, to save kind of help these
1: businesses out. No, that's exactly right, man, because like you said, like we said on episode 28, you know, this indoor uh, dining uh, ban is definitely going to be tough for a lot of these restaurant owners and things like that. And hopefully these guys can kind of hold the tide. Hopefully people will continue to support these individuals, whether it's via takeout or ordering on DoorDash or Grubhub. You know, obviously, we hope the DoorDash and Grubhub and these places uh, look at their fee situation because – they make it very tough for you to want to support these businesses when they basically try to take advantage of the situation, you know? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll definitely see my guy. We'll definitely see my guy. Well, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, man, there was a troubling story that came out of Louisiana. And I mean, it, to be honest with you, uh Jules, it, it really, uh, it really upset me and it kind of, uh, Started me, you know, making me have some of those thoughts I had from earlier in the summer when it came to some of the situations that are happening to people of color. Uh, so we have a 15 year old kid, uh, Kawan Bobby Charles, who was found uh, lynched this week, and I'm not sure if you got a chance to like look at that story, but it's pretty much been everywhere. And I wanted to kind of talk to our audience about that a little bit, and we probably may even do like a, f- a future uh, episode on on this story, but we wanted to kind of just. Talk about it really quickly because it was just something that, you know, kind of uh was near and dear to me at least. Uh but Jules, what what you think, man, when you kind of like we're looking at that this week?
0: Well, I really didn't chance get much dive deep into it, but it's it is something that's very troubling, especially in this day and age. I mean, here you have a 50-year-old boy who's, you know, in Louisiana and stuff like that, and out uh playing or hanging around and stuff like that. And he ended up missing and came fine until until days later, and that's—it's troubling because it shouldn't. Hey, hey, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be this way. I mean, you know, the family claims you know there's—it's foul play that involved definitely. You know, they show photos of uh, Bobby's face, and it was you know badly disfigured and stuff like that. And the family believed it could be racially motivated. And law enforcement is pretty much they saying it's failed to act in hours of him being missing. Now two weeks has passed, and you know. At that time, he was still missing. And um uh, when they did find him, it was his it was, it was questions that need to be answered. It was like, well, you know, first why it takes so, you know, took so long and stuff as, far as an investigation. So it's a lot of stuff that's, you know, questions that need to be answered. And I'm just I'm just sorry and just I know our hearts and and, and prayers goes out to this family here because it's something that you don't wanna see, especially read and stuff like that and hear because you, when you hear this and see this, you, you out, automatically, we, as us, uh, prayers, we think about what Emmett Till and yeah. how he was from Chicago and he visited some peoples in down South and, you know, you, you know, the story and stuff like that. And yep. cats came and took him out and did what they did. And, 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 you know, a mother lost a son and stuff. And
1: yeah, they, they lynched that poor kid. And yeah. I think that's what happened to this Bobby Charles kid yeah. because When we see the pictures that were posted online and to me, I'm really disappointed in that police department down there because the family reached out to the police when he went missing. And their Mm -hmm. response to the family was, oh, he could be out at a football game or something, you know, don't worry. But they didn't even offer to go look for the kid. They didn't even send out an Amber Alert. Right. Mm -hmm. Then days later, he was found in that field with his body beaten and burned. Right. And the police ruled it a death by drowning it closed, it didn't even enter an investigation. So when I hear that kind of thing, I'm like, this feels like 1955 all over again because that's what they did to Emmett Till's mother. And that's why she Mm -hmm. had to post that picture where people could see what her son looked like. My thing is, why does a mother have to do that? Why does she have to share her grief with the whole world just to get people to act and actually care and give a fuck to do their jobs? We shouldn't have to see that picture for people to actually realize that this is wrong. You know what I mean? Right.
0: Dude, I I I hear you, brother, and and I I wish I had the answers, but but you hit it. You said it. Some people just don't care.
1: No, but you did hit on a couple things. So you mentioned that the family obviously uh they they they're not buying the story that was put out there. (laughs) And yeah, but yeah. So they're they're actually um in the process of getting an independent autopsy done. Um, I know the family, they raised money and they actually got a lot of money and a lot of donations for that. So hopefully mm-hmm. they'll get the answers that they deserve because they they weren't given transparency throughout this whole entire situation. OK, we
0: understand, you know, such as life, things is going to happen. But when they do happen and stuff like that, you know, you, you it shouldn't be no conspiracy theories here or cover ups or wherever the case may be where you can't get answers. Right. Those are things where, like, OK. We know he didn't do this to himself. Right. You know what I'm saying? So who was... And, and, and cameras are everywhere. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know how it is out in the Louisiana, but I mean, but damn. Cameras are everywhere, people are everywhere and stuff like that. You mean to tell me this boy wandered off on his own, set fire to himself and and drowned, in, in, you know, and up in the field somewhere?
1: I, you know, come on now. And also, too, Juice, because you, 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 you going exactly where I'm getting ready to go at <laughs> this point. But how exactly does a kid who drowns end up in the field? <laughs> hey, come on I mean I, you can't make this shit up bro
0: <laughs> no 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 and that's what we want our listeners to understand listen people got different thoughts and we're all different and different opinions and stuff like that but just look at the facts you know my, my biggest thing I think we as a society of folks we're e- e- emotional I think we're emotional creatures we're humans so emotional creatures but we need to keep these emotions in checks, and let's figure out the facts the facts the facts, don't line up here. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? And it's like, come on now. Now, now we need the police department out there to, to just do their job and stuff, okay? Now, I don't know if, you know, it's going to come out in the future that whoever did this, responsible for this, is higher up. Who knows? Who's a relative of the, of the government or the police right. department or who knows? So. We, like you say, we just want transparency. We want to know what happened and stuff like that. And, you know, so we get some closure to this thing here.
1: Exactly. That's it. Because right now, the family doesn't have that. And I would say no. this. 13 days have gone by in this situation. They have zero leads, Jules. And then also, mm-hmm. <laughs> 13 days have gone by, The family has no answers. They don't even have an official cause of death right now. That's unacceptable, man. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, you think about our mothers, man. If they had to go through something like that, it's already tough losing a son, a family. But then mm-hmm. now you don't have any justice for that situation. That's got to be hard. You know what I mean? And to your point, man, my heart goes out for that whole entire family, especially that mother.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it it, it shouldn't it shouldn't happen. You know what I'm saying? It, and then it shouldn't you shouldn't have to to pull teeth and. You know, beat uh, uh, this this war drum and, and 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 plaster everything on this media outlet to get some type of a uh, right uh, help. You know what I'm saying? It right. should be because you know what? Damn, somebody got attacked and brutally murdered and stuff like that. And it's my job to figure out what the hell happened so we can bring that person to to, to court and if they have the death penalty or whatever the case may be, he he suffer his faith that way. You know what I'm saying? And help the and help the people. That who been victimized by by this this predator and stuff like that. Not the other way where you're drowning and you know, some 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 BS answer and stuff like that. Like, come on, man, people are not dumb.
1: They think we're dumb, but we ain't dumb. We know what it is. You yeah, we know what time it is. We know
0: what time. <laughs> know what time. And, you know, so like I said, our heart and prayers go out, but man, this right here, you just shake your head, you kind of just look up and say some of the things we were fighting, you know, our ancestors were fighting for back then, you just see it's still fighting for today. But, you know, it, it, we just get the one thing we know, we just got to keep fighting.
1: <laughs> yeah, one thing we know out of all this shit here, we got to keep on fighting. Well, we got to keep fighting. And on this podcast here, we're going to keep bringing up these type of uh, mm-hmm. discussions because these are the things that matter out here. And this is the stuff that we you guys are going to hear on this podcast. But to Jules' point, you know, pulling back the curtain podcast, man, We our hearts go out to this family. And we are definitely going to help get that family some justice. We're going to keep talking about this situation. I'm going to keep posting things on our social media to make sure that there is justice for this kid because this is a 15-year-old kid that had a life ahead of him, and he's gone. I just want people to think about that. Man, he didn't even scratch the
0: surface, man. Didn't even
1: scratch the surface 15 years old. Good-looking kid, too. And to see what they did to him, I'll just say this, man. A lot of our listeners, you you have brothers. You may have sons and and nephews and Mm -hmm. whatever else. You look at that person in your family, you think that if you would be okay with that person in your family having done it and what happened to Bobby here. You know, we have to start looking at these situations that happen and start looking at it and say, you know what, this isn't right. And we need to speak up on these situations. And that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to be the voice of this for the people that don't have a voice. Yes, sir. I'm glad to be on it, too. Yes, sir. Well, man, let's... Jules, let's get into the meats and potatoes of uh, of our of our episode here, man. So we, we're going to discuss this Browder versus uh, Gale case. And for a lot of people in history, when they think of the uh, Montgomery, Alabama, uh, you know, bus segregation case, they don't really know anything about this case in particular. Right. And the fact that this case actually was the catalyst for ending bus segregation in Alabama. And so. One of the things that I wanted to kind of quickly just kind of just kick off the discussion here, because me and Jules, we're just going to kind of like volley back and forth on it. But shortly after the Montgomery bus boycott, you know, kind of kicked off uh, in December of uh, 55, a lot of the black community leaders at the time, they kind of started to discuss internally filing a federal lawsuit uh, to challenge the city of Montgomery and the state of Alabama on this bus segregation law, right? Two months after the bus boycott began, we started to see civil rights activists coming up and they basically said, you know what? Let's look at this situation that happened with Claudette Colvin. So for any of our listeners that don't know, Claudette was a 15-year-old schoolgirl who was actually the first person arrested uh, for refusing to give up her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus. And this was actually nine Mm -hmm. months before Rosa Parks actually did the same. So Jules, I wanted you to kind of like just paint the picture real quick about, you know, kind of what prompted you know, this lawsuit in this case and you and I just kind of like piggyback this day, because like I said, this is going to be like more of a free flow of conversation for our audience. But we just wanted to kind of just detail you guys this case, because a lot of people probably don't know the ins and outs of it.
0: Well, I think I think one big reason why this 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 case came about is because they the a year before, I believe they uh, the 14th Amendment, where 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 was used for the Brown Boys Board of Education, where they desegregate as uh, far as black and white can go to the same school. With that being said, when the bus boycott as far as Montgomery and stuff like that, of course, uh, my ancestors went, they had to get on the uh, bus, they had to go to the back. Or if they, if there was enough room, if a white person get on, a black person was sitting there, they would have to get up. Now, man, I, I don't know about you, prayers, but man, on them days you waiting on that bus, it's cold, you trying to get to work or school, and you talking about you sitting down, you finally sitting down, you getting warm and stuff, then you have to come up and somebody say you have to
1: get up? Mm. Yeah, man. I think you and me both, man. We probably have been that same thing. Like, no, nah, man, I was here Ooh. first. What you talking about? Right. <laughs> right. So that's why, yeah, so that's why
0: you got these these four, these five women and stuff like that on the same year, you know, as you said, with uh, 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 Colvin, 15-year-old uh, girl, and, and, and three of them are girls. Three of them are 15, I think, teenagers. They were all teenagers, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the case, they picked the case up because it was unfair.
1: Yeah, it was unfair. It was I mean, unfair. I
0: mean, pretty much it, it, the, the, the uh, cliff notes of this, it's it just unfair. Alabama it, State, it, of course, Statue of Montgomery, but city ordinance, we, you know, they, the requiring segregation of the Montgomery bus uh, uh, case, you know, of course, Fred, Fred Gray, the attorney and Charles uh, Langford, you know, saying they filed on behalf of these African-American women who were mistreated on this bus. So pretty much it was, it was pretty much, it was just time. It was just time. We we des- desegregate these schools and stuff like that. The busing and transportation system and stuff is next. So with that happening, where they were seeing the the you know girls uh, girls and, and guys, whoever know what whatever other cases we might not even know about, you know was transpiring. It was like okay, we need to let's look at this and 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 and, and get this get this taken care of.
1: Yeah, and the one thing too, like one, I want to piggyback on one thing Jewel said there is the fact that. Gray, who was the attorney that represented mm-hmm. in this case, he reached out to these individuals and basically said, "Look, because mm-hmm. you guys all have been discriminated against by drivers that enforced that segregation policy, I want to basically represent you guys." And they all um, agreed to come plaintiffs in that case. Um, however, sure. there was one there was one girl that actually ended up dropping out of the case, and it was because her family and also herself they were threatened by uh, members of the white community. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, she basically. <laughs> Yep, she went back and she basically said that uh, she didn't agree to the lawsuit, and uh, she also basically kind of claimed that she was coerced into it. And then what the state actually tried to do was they tried to get uh, the attorney disbarred. So they were kind of up right. to their like little tricks right. to try to get you know things kind of moving a different way. One of the comments that me and Jules have made on previous episodes is the fact that. We have to mobilize. We have to be smart. And in this kid's situation, these individuals in this civil rights movement, they used their brains and they collectively came together. Because what happened was, Gray, he got with um, Robert Carter and Thurgood Marshall, and everybody knows Thurgood Marshall's history. He would later become uh, the first African-American U.S. uh, Supreme Court justice. But Mm -hmm. what it was is they recommended, hey, you know what? Don't go the Rosa Parks route with this thing. But use these young, young ladies and take this thing federal. Because if they didn't do it that way, because Rosa Parks had a criminal charge against her for basically refusing to give up her seat, the money, the warders could have been muddied there. So what right. they did, though, is they collectively thought in their minds, hey, let's not get this thing tied up in, in state courts. We need to get this to federal courts. And so I really thought that was huge in the sense of the way that they basically did their research and knew how to manipulate that situation.
0: Dude, you hit it right on the head when it was playing chess instead of checkers. Because yep. like you said, if they would have went Park's way, that's their, that stuff would have been in, in contempt and continued, I'm sorry, for months and probably years. And then we all know timing is everything. This was the right time right here. You got four or five other uh, people, uh, females that was discriminated against. So like, like you say, the, the Montgomery Improvement Association, they did brought this case because Park's, you know, saying it'll be heard in a local court that it'll it'll be months or even years before it even it be it come into come to play. So by filing directly with the district courts, they'll also be able to achieve an injunction against the segregation law at that same time. So it was it was a hell of a move uh, in, in, of what the uh, the attorneys was doing on that one.
1: No, absolutely, and I would just say this. And uh, the reason why we wanted to do this episode is. Because we wanted to make sure that these five women's stories were told. Because I mm-hmm. think often when people think of the civil rights movement, rightfully so, we think about Dr. King and all the amazing work that we, he, he did. And then a lot of times it then circles back to Rosa Parks uh, when it comes to the bus segregation situation. But we wanted to just make sure that people can actually learn about these women that are actually behind this lawsuit. Because as Jules mentioned, yes, the MIA, that organization honestly, when they basically came to, to be, they had simple requests for the state of Alabama, which they wouldn't even be able to honor. What they asked for, Jules, is they just said, look, can you just treat us with respect? <laughs> Let us basically have a first come, first, cur- first serve mm-hmm. um, atmosphere mm-hmm. when it comes to the bus and then would you mind hiring some black drivers, right? It's simple, right? It's simple. <laughs> That's all they asked for. And Based on the state basically saying no unequivocally to all that, that's when the MIA mobilized and said, well, we need to figure this thing out. And that's kind of to your point about how that lawsuit came to be, because mm-hmm. what they realized is, you know what, we can't allow this situation to just continue to keep going on the way that's going on.
0: No, no, no. And exactly. And well, and I tell you, man, <laughs> you When you look at it, like you said on previous shows, when we talk about the Greenwood District and we talk about what Killer Mike is doing and stuff like that, everything, it's funny how things just come back to a circle. (laughs) And how you do prayers, you know what I'm saying? How you have to be smart if you're trying to get someone, if you want something. You got to be methodical and stuff like that. I mean, it's been like this since the beginning of time. And it ain't going anywhere. So we definitely have to keep on being smart and outthink of the opponents and stuff like
1: that in order to get what you want to get. Exactly. And the one thing, too, another thing that we brought up is the fact that how within our own community, we got to kind of be the... We got to work together, right? Because yeah. you brought up you brought up a great point about how after those times when these people started to kind of come up to the North, right? Start coming to Chicago and start settling mm-hmm. all over. right, That's when we kind of saw the Black community not work together as much. But think about during these times, Jules, in our our audience, these people were carpooling. They were helping each other out. I mean, I even read where they had taxi drivers that were basically giving people rides at below market rates to keep them out of that bus system. Right. That's what they had to do. They said, listen, they
0: got together. Parks was actually uh, her and other people from NWACP and stuff like that got together. I know Parks was a definite dispatch and coordinator of that, where like you said, blacks who own cars and stuff like that pick people up. I think they was only charging 10 cent, I believe. Exactly. And and other people if they have bikes or if they can walk and stuff like that. But collectively, they did whatever they had to do to get their point across. And them bus systems, they had problems. They went bankruptcy. They could Because three-fourths of the riders were black.
1: That's other, right. They used the buses. They was black. But you can't treat those people with respect and they keeping your bus line going. Right. Well, it wasn't like the parallel. Okay. So, Three-fourths of the riders were black. When we boycotted, they started to go under. Mm-hmm. What happens with money in the black community, Jules? Oh, man.
0: Money in the black community. We talking back then or, or, or today? Or oh, today. Black money in the community today is, is leaving, man. It ain't, staying. So, it ain't staying in the community.
1: I just want our listeners to think about that point real quick. That's I think it. it only takes six hours for the dollar to leave out the black black hands. Just imagine what we could do if we, we invested our mindsets and actually... Change that thing. We we shut down a bus company, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what are we mm-hmm. gonna get to de- when we start to realize the power of our money? Like you said
0: earlier, all we gotta do is come together, have a plan, write it down, execute it, and
1: stay with it. Yeah, because right, well, in, in this right. situation, because for our audience, we want to just make sure that you guys understand the situation that was going on back then. Because let's just I'm a, we're mm-hmm. gonna take you guys back to what was going on. So actually. In January of the following year, after the lawsuit was basically put into play, the mayor of Montgomery basically filed this law where he was going to get tough when it came to trying to bring the boycott back into play, right? So we want to make sure you guys understand what this meant. Basically, Dr. Mm -hmm. King's house was bombed. Yep, He and his entire family could have been killed. So that's what this basically mayor— his answer was to basically people asked to be treated like human beings and to be respected. They went and bombed this man's house. So when that happened, that's when the MIA went to Gray and said, we need to get this damn lawsuit cracking. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. you know, because the thing about it was, while the boycotts and stuff like that were working, it wasn't alone going to be the only catalyst for change, Jules. No, no. That, like I said, that Pandora's box. With Brown versus Board
0: of Education, they used the 14th Amendment about, you know, say talk about separate but equal. You know, what the hell, separate but equal? What right. that mean? What it mean, separate but equal? So <laughs> when they found out unconstitutional, oh man, that opened up the floodgates. Yeah, because the thing about
1: it is, too, you gotta think about this. So once they had that lawsuit in motion against uh basically the the mayor and 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 the city, but mm-hmm. they also still were boycotting. So they were doing it simultaneously. Now, at the same time that all this was going on, Rosa Parks' appeal was also pending in the court system because she had been charged and fined uh, for refusing the bus driver's orders, right? So she had a disorderly conduct charge against her. So obviously, with that being a criminal case, they had to kind of treat that a little bit differently because when it's criminal like that, that case couldn't be elevated to the Supreme Court. So that's what, kind right. of why we were discussing earlier about why these five women stepped up because they didn't have criminal charges against them. Which is very strategic. Um, and I would just say this. The biggest thing with these five women that I really loved is the fact that they were strong, man. Could you imagine during that time the threats that not only they received, but the threats that their families received? Well, one of the, one of the ladies had to, had, she, she recanted her statement. Well, yeah, that was the one I mentioned. She dropped off the case. Right. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what what I'm seeing here, though, is we're in a day and age now where African American people are are very conditioned to just accept their situations, or sometimes they can be selfish and say, "Well, you know what? It's not happening to me, and me and mine are over here. They're good, and not really worried about the greater good of their people." And that, to me, is sad because you have these five women that realize, "Hey, our life has to have a purpose." and this mm-hmm. is important for the betterment of other people, and I just want people to think about how brave these women were.
0: Totally brave, man. I mean, and 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 these and we ain't talking about now. Broder, uh, Broder was 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 well, I believe in the thirties, but yes. the rest of the girls were uh, teenagers, and then women. You know what I'm saying? Parks got thrown off the bus uh, the same the same bus driver twice, one yeah. back in the forties, and then other and in 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 fifty uh, five. When all yeah. this, and it was like, damn, that bro... Well, you know, <laughs> I guess that was the same route for all them years, but okay. But um, <laughs> but man, but, for, but still, for them to stand up like that, and we talking about women, standing mm-hmm. up like that, where well, I know people was was yelling and cursing and being picked on and picked up and thrown off and stuff like that. Ooh, these girls were brave here. But you know what? What they did, like we're saying now, we're paying homage and, and, and also... Bring their 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 story into existence, and then so people understand it wasn't just you know like you said Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and stuff like that. these women back here too. were well, Actually, like you said, the catalyst for why our people, what us, you know, saying the the future and stuff like that, were able to get on the bus and sit where the damn where feel where we can sit on the bus without being being messed with or being heckled or tell we had to move or get off and stuff like that.
1: Exactly, man. So you got to think about this too. I mean, this initially started as a one day boycott that we just realized, you know what, there's more power in this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we really just have to get back to just thinking about some of the stuff that we've done in in the history of this country to fight. We can't lose our fight. You know what I mean? And like you said earlier, Jules, there's a two difference between emotion and, and strategic. And what they did back mm-hmm. then is they merged those two together. Cause I know they were mad. You know they were pissed off. Oh, yeah. But they were strategic. Too.
0: Yeah. hmm You just after you get mad, you come, you come, you calm down and think,
1: okay, what's my next move? What's my play? And the thing about it is too, they knew those lawyers and stuff like that. You had some of the smartest people around at that time that basically they were collaborating with and they were coming together. And they knew the laws and the way that this thing looked and what it was. And they knew that this thing was unjust and they knew if they could get this thing federal, mm-hmm. that their chances for success were going to be pretty good. Cause they knew it was bogus. Yeah, it was bogus. So the thing that we wanted to kind of talk about with the audience real quick is the fact of now the boys, boy cows at this time, they were starting to reach a lot of opposition because as we mentioned that the mayor had this policy where he was basically using intimidation and trying to get these people to end their bus boycott, right? Also, Mm -hmm. you had cold weather setting in. You also had situations where those taxi drivers were no longer allowed to offer below market rides anymore. So they were putting every sort of mechanism as possible in to end the boycott. That's when the power of this lawsuit really started to kind of like pick up steam a little bit because what we saw was When they filed that lawsuit against the mayor of Montgomery, uh, William Gale, they challenged the constitutionality of the state statute. And so it was heard in front of a three-judge panel. And so anybody that doesn't Mm -hmm. realize, this three-judge panel also included Frank Johnson. And so for history buffs out here, he also would go on to overturn uh, George Wallace's uh, attempts in 1965 to block the march to Selma. So that's just kind of like Mm -hmm. what we want to kind of talk about now as far as us turning the page and actually talking about the case itself.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point, Press.
1: But so all of the women they testified in, in regards to their mistreatment on those city buses, the city, the only argument they had was that they were simply only enforcing the laws as they were written. And that's something. Okay. It, it, I was, I was, as it was written, huh? Yeah. I don't understand. I, I thought it was written
0: where it was unconstitutional. <laughs> exactly. I, I, that, I, not unless I read something different. You didn't. So basically, constitutional-wise, it was wrong. But in their state so, statutes... Uh, why? Because they don't, why? Is, it because, is it because people are a different color?
1: Yeah. In their state statute, they basically felt like, oh, our law is written this way. And that's why they were trying to get that thing out of the state courts and get it federal.
0: Right. right. You know what I mean? Because you, you have a better chance. Right. It's, it's fairness. Yes. And, and that's what happened. Because it went, like you say, like, like you was talking about earlier, Perez, the three judge pound over in the United States to get the district court for the uh, Middle District of Alabama, and then on June 5th, the panel ruled it 2-1 favor of the plaintiff, finding that the statute allows segregation on public buses unconstitutional. I mean, right. simple. It was written black and white, specifically the clause of the 14th Amendment. Actually, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, well, they knew they was gonna lose. That's why they they
1: tried. And you know, they tried. They they tried to appeal it too, a yes, few times. Did. Yes, they did. So ultimately, it ended up getting sent to the Supreme Court because they mm-hmm. knew that once they knew that it was going to be appealed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So
0: it revealed that the judgment on, on November 13th in, 50, in 1956, the Supreme Court, you know what I'm saying, affirmed that the district court ruling in order of Alabama and Montgomery to desegregate his buses again. Mm-hmm. You know what yep. I'm saying? And then it get to, you know what I'm saying, bro, hey, Buddy was still mad. He still was fighting. So they didn't have to, they have to implement, you know what I'm saying, uh, 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 official written notice by the federal marshal. Man, come on, man. You segregate them buses, man. Quit playing. We yeah, already told so your weird. ass. We already <laughs> told your ass unconstitutional. What are you keep, keep fighting this for? Yeah.
1: <laughs> because you know what? The boycott still continued even um, through those remaining mm-hmm. months. And that's kind of how mm-hmm. uh, all the attention, because they started getting put on magazines, right? And it started getting picked up because people saw whoa, what's going on? And that's kind of like a combination of the the legal case and the fact that they galvanized together. Both of those things kind of came together. It was like kind of like the perfect combination, you know? Oh, yeah. Perfect storm, man. Perfect. We say this a lot of times, man. When
0: you dealing with money, cash rule, everything around me. Money talks. Money talks. And then when them buses was taking a hit, and when they and another thing, when they see black people was pulling and banding together, they don't white people, there's something white but they don't want to see that. They was they were scared. And they don't want and they don't want to see it now either. Yeah, you, you're damn right. That's why it's important that we hey we gotta be on our P's and Q's and work together.
1: Absolutely, man. Because you know what ended up happening too. I know you probably peeped this when you kind of was reading up on this, but because the mayor couldn't take that L. He started having basically city officials arresting like Dr. King and all the other boycott leaders. And they used like this oh, yeah, fucking yeah, law. Yeah. Did you see that they like manipulated this law that pro- uh, prohibited uh, people from obstructing from a law- lawful business? So in this case, mm. they were claiming that we were basically shutting down the bus system and their operations. And so that's why they, a lot of those guys end up going to jail. Man, um, you
0: know, just dirty. This is just, just dirty tactics and then And also people also people was getting, you know, of course, people was getting shot and stuff like that coming off the bus and and and, and being treated and, and, and punched and hit and stuff and still being attacked brutally. Yep. for You know, because after the, the, the laws had changed, you know, uh, black people was, was going back on the buses. White people still, you know, of course, some had uh, uh still resentment towards us and took it out on them.
1: Exactly. But well, as you mentioned, November 13th of 1956, the Supreme Court upheld the lower coach decision in the broader case. And basically what that did is illegally ended racial segregation. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk about just real quick on this thing is listen to all the adversity that these people had to go through. So we were being unjustly treated in this situation. We went through the legal process the correct way. And every step, we were able to Basically, counter every obstacle that was put in our way in this situation in this time, and I just want our audience to kind of listen to that of how these were basic things that these guys are asking for respect. Basically, first come, first serve, and maybe hire a couple black uh, bus drivers. That was it. Yeah, and that was such a problem.
0: That could have been uh, <laughs> right. What's the? I mean, you go through all that, and you you you, you look back at it and like, okay, so that people be treated fairly people who can sit whatever they want you know first come first serve seating and hire, hire, hire a few black folks to be, be driving in these in these communities it gives some black people some opportunities in this in, in the transportation business what why is that so hard
1: yeah i don't i don't get it man i really don't and i would say this too for our audience so you you heard the date that that Jules gave you uh, November 13th 1956 well yep. this ruling wasn't even made official until December 20th of that year
0: and yeah, that's when December it was given 20. to the
1: city officials. Uh, <laughs> isn't that something?
0: Forcefully. Hey, man, Forcefully. come on, quit playing. Yep. And let these people ride the bus, man. <laughs> the federal marshal had to get the this, this slide to do the note. All right, yep. man, it's over. Yep. Hey, man, you lost the fight. That's like Trump losing the Biden. All right, man, it's over.
1: Yeah, let's time, t- time to pack it up, bro.
0: <laughs> man.
1: <laughs>
0: but, man, but like you said, man, we want our people, we want people to understand, man, this, this Browder and Gail, It opened up the Pandora's box for uh, uh, integration with restaurants, swimming pools, park hotels, government housings and stuff like that. This thing was monumental, man.
1: It was. It was monumental. And in a case that is not talked about. Right. And I would say this. I'm not sure if the boycotts alone would have succeeded. I think that this case is really the main catalyst for why we got this basically passed. Mm hmm. It's kind of a shame to me that when we think about Aurelia Browder, how her story has been marginalized in most accounts of civil rights history. Because as we mentioned earlier in, the, in this episode, when you think of this bus situation, you think of Rosa Parks immediately, rightfully so, because she also refused to give up her seat. But she wasn't right. the first sure. person, right? Mm-hmm. And there were other individuals that were a part of it as well. But because Rosa Parks had a really good relationship with NAACP, it she be kind of came the face of that movement, in a sense.
0: Right. So the question is, you know, how come um, Browder wasn't the face and Rosa was? That, you know, what do we say with that? It's, I think King said in his memoir, he wrote in his memoir about the the Montgomery uh, boycott, Buzz boycott, and he was talking about all the contributions Parks was doing for black people and, in in her role in the NWACP, NWACP, she also stated in this, in this memoir that she wasn't physically tired. She wasn't that old, you know, you know, I should, she was only 42. So, yeah, right. so she was just saying, she was just tired of just giving in. Right. And she inspired thousands of people to, to do the boycott. And I think that was just, you, you need a face. And I think her face was, was just the, the, you know, or what she come with was just the best for overall what what the what they were trying to do.
1: Yeah. And also, too, you gotta think about it when you look at history, right? And, and I'm just gonna probably be really uh really simplistic with this viewpoint. I think the history kind of prefers to have a lone hero. Uh, when you look at a story mm-hmm. of injustice, I think that's kind of why she was painted that way. Cause you could just say that basically she was like kind of like the figurehead that got things going, right? Um, mm-hmm. but I would just say this, man, Browder and those other plaintiffs. I just want more and more people to actually put their names in the mix as well. Because those right. women were strong. They fought. Mm-hmm. They weren't intimidated. And I'm sure they were scared. But change doesn't happen unless sometimes you do things that maybe are a little fearful, that maybe are outside oh, yeah. of your normal comfort zone, right? hmm No, no, you're right. 100%. So, 100%. And the reason why we did this episode, we just want the audience, we want you guys to understand that this boycott, and much like some of the things that are going on today, it was carefully orchestrated. And that's what we need to do today to fight some of these injustices that are going on, right? Because there were thousands of unknown activists that were involved in this boycott and this court case that history doesn't know anything about. And these people also were a part of basically getting some success done with this situation. So- we wanted in this episode just to teach the whole story and not just a small portion of it that was force fed to people in history.
0: Hey man, I tell you one thing, man, going about uh, doing some research on this stuff that you didn't know and you know, history, like you said, history doesn't, doesn't teach you. The they teach you the main players, but there's there's pieces in with the main players that helps and put this all this together. You know, just going back and it's like, man, wow. And what other stories is like that? What we get coming, or get you know, back in the days that we miss, and then we don't know anything about, and stuff like that. It's definitely it's definitely uh, uh, motivating to to look at this and and see that like man, we have people out here that's doing things. They don't get the recognition, but the but the, the recognition they get is the uh, we were able that their ancestors in their future in their future were able to have things better than what they had
1: Man, absolutely, brother. Well, I'll tell you one thing, man, Jules. This episode right here, man, I hope we put some, some knowledge on some people's heads with this thing. This has been a really good one even for me because it just really has so many parallels to kind of some of the things that we're seeing today. So, man, we got another episode in the books. Audience, right, so we're going to keep yes, this sir. content coming your way. But well, we told you guys, uh, season two, we're going to keep get hitting you guys with really relevant content, and we're going to keep doing that. So without further ado, man, we are gonna get up out of here. Jules, go to and hit him with that curtain call, bruh.
0: This curtain call goes out to Stacey Abrams. She was instrumental in helping the Biden-Harris ticket win to the White House. Abrams mobilized a massive voting registration program dating back to 2018 in Georgia. This state has historically voted for Republican candidates the last three decades. In this year's election, 1.2 million African-American in Georgia voted up from 500,000 in the 2016 election. As the state has grown more diverse over the last decades, black turnout helped make the state historically close election trend towards Biden. This shows the importance of the black vote in Georgia is a blue state right now. And as a result of the work of Stacey Abrams and other African-American activists and grassroots organizations.
1: Jules, thanks for that curtain call, man. That's very important for our listeners to, to hear. Shout out to you, Stacey Abrams, and the rest of those African-American activists and grassroots organizations. We appreciate you. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and Deezer. We appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.